part one of book two of on the laws by marcus tullius cicero translated by charles duke young this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by geoffrey edwards part one of book two introduction to the second book in this second book cicero treats of hierarchical and ecclesiastical laws and lays down a number of ecclesiastical canons or maxims which he subsequently expounds at large atticus do you feel inclined since we have had walking enough for the present and since you must now take up a fresh part of the subject for discussion to vary our situation if you do let us pass over to the island which is surrounded by the fibrinus for such i believe is the name of the other river and sit down while we prosecute the remainder of our discourse marcus i like your proposal for that is the very spot which i generally select when i want a place for undisturbed meditation or uninterrupted reading or writing atticus in truth now i am come to this delicious retreat i cannot see too much of it would you believe that the pleasure i find here makes me almost despise magnificent villas marble pavements and sculptured palaces who would not smile at the artificial canals which our great folks call their niles and Eurapi, after he had seen these beautiful streams therefore as you just now in our conversation on justice and law referred all things to nature so you seek to preserve her domination even in those things which are constructed to recreate and amuse the mind i therefore used to wonder before as i expected nothing better in this neighbourhood than hills and rocks and indeed i had been led to form these ideas by your own speeches and verses i used to wonder i say that you were so exceedingly delighted with this place but my present wonder on the contrary is how when you retire from rome you condescend to rusticate in any other spot marcus but when i can escape for a few days especially at this season of the year i usually do come here on account of the beauty of the scenery and the salubrity of the air but it is but seldom that i have it in my power to do so there is one reason however why i am so fond of this arpinum which does not apply to you atticus what reason is that marcus because to confess the truth it is the native place of myself and my brother here for here indeed descended from a very ancient race we first saw the day here is our altar here are our ancestors and here still remain many vestiges of our family besides this villa which you behold in its present form was originally constructed at considerable expense under my father's superintendence for having very infirm health he spent the later years of his life here engaged in literary pursuits and on this very place too while my grandfather was alive and 
while the villa according to the olden custom was but a little one like that one of curius in the sabine district i myself was born there is therefore an indescribable feeling insensibly pervading my soul and sense which causes me perhaps to find a more than usual pleasure in this place and even the wisest of men ulysses is related to have renounced immortality that he might once more revisit his beloved ithaca atticus i indeed think what you have mentioned a very sufficient reason for your feelings and for your coming hither with pleasure and being attached to this place moreover i myself to say the truth feel that my love for this house and all this neighbourhood increases when i remember that you were born and bred up here for somehow or other we certainly cannot behold without emotion the spots in which we find traces of those who possess our esteem or admiration and for my own part even in the case of athens itself which i love so greatly it is not so much the magnificent works and exquisite specimens of art of the ancients which delight me as the remembrance of her great men and the thought where each of them used to live and sit down and discourse even their very tombs do i contemplate with deep attention and with the same feelings i shall for the future love the place the more where you were born marcus that being the case i am very glad that i have brought you here and shown you what i may almost call my cradle atticus and i am greatly pleased at having seen it but what were you going to say just now when you called this arpinum the true country of yourself and your brother quintus have you more than one country or any other than that roman commonwealth in which we have a similar interest unless indeed you mean to say that the true country of the philosophic cato was not rome but tusculum marcus i indeed should say that cato and all municipal citizens like him have two countries the one that of their birth and the other that of their citizenship as in the case of cato who having been born at tusculum was elected a citizen of rome so that as he was a tusculan by extraction and a roman by citizenship he had one country as his native place and another as his country in law so among your athenians before theseus urged them to quit their rural territories and assembled them at athens those that were natives of sunium were reckoned as sunians and athenians at the same time and in the same way we justly consider as our country both the place from where we originated and that in which we have been received it is necessary however that we should attach ourselves by a preference of affection to the latter which under the name of the commonwealth is the common country of us all for this country it is that we ought to sacrifice our lives it is to her that we ought to devote ourselves without reserve and it is for her 
that we ought to risk all our riches and consecrate all our hopes but still that land which produced us is not much less dear to us than that which has received us therefore i will never disown arpinum as my country at the same time acknowledging that rome is the greater of the two and that the other is contained in her atticus it was not then without reason that pompey said in my hearing when he pleaded conjointly with you the cause of ambius that our commonwealth owed great gratitude to this municipality for having given it two of its preservers for my part i quite agree with you that your native place may be called your country no less correctly than the commonwealth of rome but here we are arrived in your favourite island how beautiful it appears how bravely it stems the waves of the fibrinus whose divided waters lave its verdant sides and soon rejoin their rapid currents the river just embraces space enough for a moderate walk and having discharged this office and secured us an arena for disputation it immediately precipitates itself into the liris and then like those who ally themselves to patrician families it loses its more obscure name and gives the waters of the liris a greater degree of coolness for i have never found water much colder than this although i have seen a great number of rivers and i can hardly bear my foot in it when i wish to do what socrates did in plato's phaedrus marcus you are quite right but my brother quintus often tells me that your river theamis in epirus is nothing inferior to even this delightful spot in beauty quintus and that is the truth too and i would have you believe that nothing on earth can surpass the beauties of our friend atticus's amalthium and its plain trees but if you have no objection let us repose here in the shade and return to that part of our subject from which we have digressed marcus you are very persevering in your demands my quintus i thought that we had done with the question but you are not a man to allow any one to remain in your debt quintus pray begin then for all this day is devoted to hearing you marcus quote, with jupiter the muses shall begin close quote. as i said in my translation of atatos atticus wherefore this exordium marcus because on this occasion we cannot do better than commence by invoking him and the other immortal gods quintus there can be no objection to this it is but decent and proper marcus let us then once more examine before we come to the consideration of particular laws what is the power and nature of law in general lest when we come to refer everything to it we occasionally make mistakes from the employment of incorrect language and show ourselves ignorant of the force of those terms which we ought to employ in the definition of laws quintus this is a very necessary caution 
and the proper method of seeking truth marcus this then as it appears to me has been the decision of the wisest philosophers that law was neither a thing contrived by the genius of man nor established by any decree of the people but a certain eternal principle which governs the entire universe wisely commanding what is right and prohibiting what is wrong therefore they called that aboriginal and supreme law the mind of god enjoining or forbidding each separate thing in accordance with reason on which account it is that this law which the gods have bestowed on the human race is so justly applauded for it is the reason and mind of a wise being equally able to urge us to good and to deter us from evil quintus you have on more than one occasion already touched on this topic but before you come to treat of the laws of nations i wish you would endeavour to explain the force and power of this divine and celestial law lest the torrent of custom should overwhelm our understanding and betray us into the vulgar method of expression marcus from our childhood we have learned my quintus to call such phrases as this quote, that a man appeals to justice and goes to law Close quote, and many similar expressions law but nevertheless we should understand that these and other similar commandments and prohibitions have sufficient power to lead us on to virtuous actions and to call us away from vicious ones which power is not only far more ancient than any existence of states and peoples but is coeval with god himself who beholds and governs both heaven and earth for it is impossible that the divine mind can exist in a state devoid of reason and divine reason must necessarily be possessed of a power to determine what is virtuous and what is vicious nor because it was nowhere written that one man should maintain the pass of a bridge against the enemy's whole army and that he should order the bridge behind him to be cut down are we therefore to imagine that the valiant cocles did not perform this great exploit agreeably to the laws of nature and the dictates of true bravery again though in the reign of tarquin there was no written law concerning adultery it does not therefore follow that sextus tarquinius did not offend against the eternal law when he committed a rape on lucretia daughter of tricipitinus for even then he had the light of reason deduced from the nature of things that incites to good actions and dissuades from evil ones and which does not begin for the first time to be a law when it is drawn up in writing but from the first moment that it exists and this existence of moral obligation is coeternal with that of the divine mind therefore the true and supreme law whose commands and prohibitions are equally authoritative is the right reason of the sovereign jupiter quintus i grant you my brother that whatever is just is also at all times the true law nor can this true law either be originated or abrogated by the written forms in which decrees are drawn up marcus therefore 
as that divine mind or reason is the supreme law so it exists in the mind of the sage so far as it can be perfected in man but with respect to civil laws which are drawn up in various forms and framed to meet the occasional requirements of the people the name of law belongs to them not so much by right as by the favour of the people for men prove by some such arguments as the following that every law which deserves the name of a law ought to be morally good and laudable it is clear say they that laws were originally made for the security of the people for the preservation of states for the peace and happiness of society and that they who first framed enactments of that kind persuaded the people that they would write and publish such laws only as should conduce to the general morality and happiness if they would receive and obey them and then such regulations being thus settled and sanctioned they justly entitled laws from which we may reasonably conclude that those who made unjustifiable and pernicious enactments for the people acted in a manner contrary to their own promises and professions and established anything rather than laws properly so called since it is evident that the very signification of the word law comprehends the whole essence and energy of justice and equity i would therefore interrogate you on this point my quintus as those philosophers are in the habit of doing if a state wants something for the want of which it is reckoned no state at all must not that something be something good quintus a very great good marcus and if a state has no law is it not for that reason to be reckoned no state at all quintus we must need say so marcus we must therefore reckon law among the very best things quintus i entirely agree with you marcus if then in the majority of nations many pernicious and mischievous enactments are made which have no more right to the name of law than the mutual engagements of robbers are we bound to call them laws for as we cannot call the recipes of ignorant and unskilful empirics who give poisons instead of medicines the prescriptions of a physician so likewise we cannot call that the true law of a people of whatever kind it may be if it enjoins what is injurious let the people receive it as they will for law is the just distinction between right and wrong made conformable to that most ancient nature of all the original and principal regulator of all things by which the laws of men should be measured whether they punish the guilty or protect and preserve the innocent quintus i quite understand you and think that no law but that of justice should either be proclaimed as one or enforced as one marcus then you regard as null and void the laws of titius and apuleius because they are unjust quintus yes and i would say the same of the laws of Livius. marcus you are right and so much the more since a single vote of the senate would be sufficient to abrogate them in an instant but that law of justice the power of which i have explained can never be discarded or abrogated quintus 
and therefore you will require such laws as can never be abrogated marcus certainly if i could get you both to agree with me but plato that wisest of all men that most dignified of all philosophers who was the first man who ever composed a treatise on a commonwealth and afterwards a separate one on laws induces me to follow his illustrious example and to proclaim the praises of law before i begin to recite its regulations such likewise was the practice of zalikos and charondas who wrote the laws which they gave their cities not for the sake of study or amusement but for the benefit of their country and their fellow-citizens and imitating them plato considered that it was the property of law to persuade in some instances and not to compel everything by threats and violence quintus what do you venture to cite zalikos when timaeus denied that he ever existed marcus but theophrastus an author in my opinion quite as respectable and as many think much more so corroborates my statement his fellow-citizens too my clients the locrians commemorate him but whether he was a real man or not is of no great consequence to our argument we are only speaking according to tradition let this therefore be a fundamental principle in all societies that the gods are the supreme lords and governors of all things that all events are directed by their influence and wisdom and divine power that they deserve very well of the race of mankind and that they likewise know what sort of person every one really is that they observe his actions whether good or bad that they take notice with what feelings and with what piety he attends to his religious duties and that they are sure to make a difference between the good and the wicked for when once our minds are confirmed in these views it will not be difficult to inspire them with true and useful sentiments for what can be more true than that no man should be so madly presumptuous as to believe that he has either reason or intelligence while he does not believe that the heaven and the world possess them likewise or to think that those things which he can scarcely comprehend by the greatest possible exertion of his intellect are put in motion without the agency of reason in truth we can scarcely reckon him a man whom neither the regular courses of the stars nor the alternations of day and night nor the temperature of the seasons nor the productions that nature displays for his use and enjoyment urge to gratitude towards heaven and as those beings which are furnished with reason are incomparably superior to those which want it and as we cannot say without impiety that anything is superior to the universal nature we must therefore confess that divine reason is contained within her and who will dispute the utility of these sentiments when he reflects how many cases of the greatest importance are decided by oaths how much the sacred rites performed in making treaties tend to assure peace and tranquillity and what numbers of people the fear of divine punishment has reclaimed from a vicious course of life and how sacred the social rights must be in a society where a firm persuasion obtains the immediate intervention of the immortal gods 
both as witnesses and judges of our actions such is the quote, preamble of the law close quote, to use the expression of plato quintus i understand you my brother and i am greatly pleased to find that you take a different view of the subject and dwell upon other points of it than those which he selects for nothing can less resemble his opinions than what you have just now asserted even in this preamble the only matter in which you seem to me to imitate him is his style and language marcus i wish indeed i did but who is or whoever will be able to imitate that as to his sentiments it is easy enough to translate them and indeed that is what i should do if i did not wish to be altogether original for what difficulty is there in stating the same doctrines as he does translated from him almost word for word quintus i entirely agree with you for as you have just remarked your arguments ought to be entirely your own begin then if you will do us the favour and expound the laws of religion marcus i will explain them as well as i can and since both the topic and the conversation is a familiar one i shall begin by describing the laws of laws quintus what laws do you mean marcus there are certain terms in law my quintus not so ancient as those in the primitive sacred laws but still in order to carry with them greater authority being of a somewhat greater antiquity than the common parlance of the people these legal terms i shall mention with as much brevity as possible and i shall endeavour to expound the laws not indeed in their whole extent for this would be a boundless subject but those which involve the principles and contain the sum and substance of the rest quintus this appears a most desirable method let us therefore hear the terms of the law marcus such are the following let men approach the gods with purity let men appear before them in the spirit of devotion let men remove riches from their temples whoever doth otherwise shall suffer the vengeance of heaven let no one have private gods neither new gods nor strange gods unless publicly acknowledged are to be worshipped privately let the temples which our fathers have constructed in the cities be upheld let the people maintain the groves in the country and the abodes of the lares let men preserve the customs of their fathers and of their family let the gods who have always been accounted celestial be worshipped and those likewise who have merited celestial honours by their illustrious actions such as hercules bacchus esculapius castor pollux and quirinus let due honour be likewise paid to those virtues by which man is exalted to heaven as intelligence valour piety fidelity and let temples be consecrated to their honour with regard to the vices let no sacred sacrifices be paid to them let men put aside all contentions of every kind on the sacred festivals and let servants enjoy them their toils being remitted 
for therefore they were appointed at certain seasons let the priests duly render the public thank-offerings to heaven with herbs and fruits on the sacrificial days also on the appointed holidays let them offer up the cream of milk and the sucklings and lest the priests should commit any mistakes in these sacrifices or the reason of these sacrifices let them carefully observe the calendar and the revolutions of the stars let them provide those particular victims which are most appropriate and agreeable to each particular deity let the different gods have different orders of priests sacerdotes let them all have pontiffs in common and let each separate god have his flamen let the vestal virgins in the city carefully keep the eternal fire of the public altar always burning and that this may be done both publicly and privately with all due form and ceremony let those who are not instructed in the order of the ceremonials learn it from the public priests let there be two classes of these priests one to preside over ceremonials and sacrifices and the other to interpret the obscure predictions of the prophets and diviners whenever the senate and the people require it let the public augurs who are the interpreters of the all-good and all-great jupiter likewise examine the presages and the auspices according to the discipline of their art let the priests who are conversant in auguries implore prosperity for the vineyards and gardens and pray for the general welfare of the people let those who give counsel in military or civic affairs attend to the auspices and be guided by them let them guard against the anger of heaven and appease it and observe from what parts of heaven the lightnings burst forth let them declare what lands cities and temples are to be held free and consecrated whatever things the augur declares to be unjust ill-omened vicious and accursed let them be forsaken as prohibited and disastrous and whoever will not obey these divine indications let him suffer capital punishment as to alliances peace war truces and the rights of ambassadors let the two vecialis be the appropriate judges and let them determine all questions relating to military affairs let them report all prodigies and portents to the etruscans and soothsayers if the senate orders it and let the chiefs of etruria explain their system then will they learn what deities it behoves them to propitiate and deprecate the fury of the thunderbolt against the object of its vengeance let there be no nocturnal sacrifices performed by women except those which they offer according to custom on behalf of the people and let none be initiated in the mysteries except by the usual forms consecrated to ceres according to the grecian ceremonials a crime which has been committed and cannot be expiated has been an act of impiety as to the faults which can be expiated let the public priests expiate them let men temper the public hilarity with song and harp and flute at the public games as far as can be done 
without the games of the race-course and the wrestling matches and let them unite these amusements with the honours of the gods let them retain whatever is best and purest in the ancient form of worship except the devotees of sibylle to whom this privilege is allowed on certain days let no one presume to levy rates for private emolument whoever purloins or robs any temple or steals any property deposited in a temple shall be accounted a parricide the divine punishment of perjury is destruction the human penalty is infamy with regard to incest let the chief priests sentence it to the extremest penalty of the law let not the impious man attempt to appease the gods by gifts and offerings let vows be carefully performed wherever law is violated let its punishments be executed let no private person presume to consecrate his land and let his consecration of gold silver and ivory be made within the limits of moderation let the sacred actions of private persons be preserved inviolate for ever let the rights of the deities of the dead be considered sacred let those who have passed into the world of souls be considered as deified but let men diminish the unnecessary expense and sorrow which is lavished on them atticus you have managed to include a great deal of law in a very small compass but it seems to me that this class of religious maxims does not much differ from the laws of numa and our national regulations marcus do you suppose then that when in my treatise on the commonwealth scipio appears to be arguing that our ancient roman commonwealth was the best of all republics it was not indispensable that i should give laws of corresponding excellence to that best of all republics atticus undoubtedly i think you should marcus well then you may expect such laws as may embrace that most perfect kind of republic and if any others should haply be demanded of me this day which are not to be found and never have existed in our roman commonwealth yet even these formed a portion of the customs of our ancestors which at that time were maintained as religiously as the laws themselves atticus proceed then if you please to propose these laws that i may have the pleasure of ratifying them by my vote marcus are you sure my atticus that when you hear them you will not say something very different atticus i do not think so i believe i shall entirely agree with you respecting the greater laws and as for the minor ones i shall concede them to you and pass sentence accordingly marcus and that is my opinion too however take care that it does not turn out a long business atticus i wish it might for what could we find to do which could be more delightful marcus one of the legal maxims i have mentioned states that we should approach the gods with purity that is to say with purity of mind for this is everything not that the law dispenses with purity of body but this must be understood 
inasmuch as the mind is far superior to the body and it may be observed that if we are to be attentive to the purity of our persons we ought to be still more so to the purity of our souls for the pollutions of the body may indeed be removed by a few ablutions of water or in a few days but the stains of the conscience cannot be obliterated by any lapse of time and all the rivers in the world cannot wash them out the next legal maxim commands us to cultivate piety and to banish costliness from our temples which signifies that piety is grateful to god and that all extravagance is displeasing to him for if in our social relations we desire that distinctions of wealth and poverty should not induce us to forget the fraternal equality of men why should we throw a stumbling-block in the approaches of mortals to their maker by requiring costly sacrifices and offerings especially since nothing could be less agreeable to the deity than to see that the way to propitiate and worship him was not open to all men and with respect to the statement that god is not merely a judge but an avenger the sense of religion appears to be strengthened by the fear of immediate punishment which awaits the offender and for individuals to worship private gods or new gods or strange gods would introduce a confusion of religions and all kinds of unknown ceremonies this is not the way in which gods accepted by the priests and by the senate should be worshipped even if they approved of such regulations i think the temples of our ancestors should be maintained in our cities in which respect i do not agree with the doctrine of the persian magi by whose advice they say xerxes set fire to the temples of the greeks because they enclosed between the walls the gods to whom all things are free and open and whose appropriate temple and dwelling-place is the boundless universe the greeks and the romans after them have adopted a more rational opinion who in order to confirm the devotion which we entertain for the gods have wished them to inhabit the same cities which we abide in ourselves for this opinion promotes a religion which has a useful influence on society for according to the noble sentence of pythagoras quote, then chiefly do piety and religion flourish in our souls when we are occupied in divine services Close quote. and according to thales the most renowned of the seven sages of greece quote, men ought to be persuaded that all things which are seen are full of the gods Close quote. for that all men will be the more pure and holy when they frequent the temples of the gods for there in a certain sense they have the divine images not only impressed on their minds but actually presented before their eyes the same argument applies to the preservation of the sylvan fanes and sacred groves nor are the religious honours which according to ancestral custom masters and servants pay to the lares in the courts of our villas and farms to be abated the rights of ancestors are likewise to be preserved in their families for since the ancients approached nearest to the gods that religion which the gods handed down to them 
is a tradition most worthy of memorial and when the law commands us to render divine honours to those of the human race who have been consecrated as deities such as hercules and the rest of the demigods it indicates that the souls of all men indeed are immortal but that those of saints and heroes are divine it is right also that intelligence piety valour and fidelity should be formally consecrated all of whom possess temples which have been publicly dedicated to them at rome so that those who cultivate these admirable virtues as indeed all worthy men do may think that they have the gods themselves seated in their souls but what is scarcely to be tolerated is that at athens they should have raised a temple to insolence and impudence as they did at the instigation of epimenides of crete after the expiation of the crime of chelon for it is the virtues and not the vices which it is becoming to consecrate now there is an ancient altar on the palatine hill dedicated to fever and another on the esquiline hill sacred to misfortune which is detestable for all things of this kind should be repudiated but when we forge titles according to the fancy of the poets and call jove vicepota from his power of conquering and taking possession and speak too of stata and stator and the invincible jupiter and consecrate the names of desirable things such as safety honour wealth and victory we perhaps do little harm and since our minds are supported by the expectation of excellent things it was not amiss for calatinus to consecrate hope and fortune may be either this day's fortune for she embraces all days or retrospective fortune as bringing assistance and we may worship her as chance as presiding over irregular accidents or under the name of primogenia from producing then comes the order of festivals and holidays in which all men should be free and spend their time without strife or litigation and which afford the slaves periods of rest and cessation from labour which the arranger of the calendar ought to appoint with a just reference to the seasons of the year so that their distribution may rather facilitate than interrupt the useful labours of agriculture and with respect to the time when the rites of sacrifice are to be offered with the young animals appointed by law the exact intervals of intercalation are to be accurately observed an institution which originating with numa was impaired by the negligence of subsequent pontiffs it is not desirable to change the regulations which the pontiffs and soothsayers have made respecting what sacrifices are to be offered to each god as to whether they are to be full-grown victims or sucklings or males or females with respect to the priests the great number of those who serve all the gods and those too who are attached to a single deity ought to be ready to answer all questions about law and to explain all the ordinances and duties of religion now as vesta according to the meaning of the greek word which the latins have retained is as it were the perpetual fire of the city 
the vestal virgins preside over it with the greatest propriety that they may the more easily keep the sacred flame ever burning and inviolable and that women may learn that the purest chastity constitutes the perfection of their nature what follows concerns not religion only but the general order of the state namely the prohibition which restrains private individuals from offering sacrifices without the superintendence of the public ministers of religion for it amounts to this that under a sound government the people have always need of the counsel and authority of the chief men and the order of priests should take cognizance of every kind of orthodox religion for there is one class appointed to propitiate the gods when offended who preside over solemn sacrifices others are ordained to interpret the predictions of the prophets not indeed of many prophets lest their tasks should be infinite and lest any one out of the college should know those matters which were decided on for the public good one of the greatest and most important offices in the commonwealth is that of the augurs conjoined as it is with the highest authority i do not say this because i am an augur myself but because we are bound to be of this opinion for what can be more important in respect of official dignity than the power of dismissing the assemblies of the people and the councils though convoked by the chief rulers or of annulling their enactments what i say can be more absolute power than that by which even a single augur can adjourn any political proceeding to another day what can be more transcendent than that authority which may command even consuls to lay down their office what more sacred than their power of granting or refusing permission to form treaties and compacts or their power of abrogating laws which have not been legitimately enacted as in the case of the titian law which was annulled by a decree of the pontifical college and the Lewian law which was likewise annulled by the advice of philippus who was at once consul and augur what can be more honourable than the fact that there is no edict of the magistrates relating either to domestic or foreign affairs which can be ratified without the augur's authority atticus i know all that and i confess that their authority is very great but there is a warm dispute in your colleges between marcellus and appius two of your best augurs for i have met with the books of both and i find that one of them affirms that auspices are merely got up for the interests of the state and the other seems to think that they really are supernatural divinations now i ask what is your opinion on this point marcus for myself i sincerely believe that there exists an art which the greeks call mantiki or divination and that the flight of birds and other signs which the augurs profess to observe form a part of this divination for when we grant the existence of the supreme gods and their intellectual government of the universe and their benignant consideration for the interests of the human race and their power of granting us intimations of future events i know not why we should deny the art of divination 
and the signs which they give are such as i have already mentioned by which the truth of my position is conclusively proved besides this not only does the history of our commonwealth afford us an infinite number of examples which confirm this truth but all kingdoms peoples and nations bear testimony that in many instances the predictions of augurs have been wonderfully fulfilled thus the traditions of polyidus melampus mopsus amphiaraeus calchus and helenus would not have made so much noise in the world nor would they at this time be accredited by so many nations arabians phrygians lycaonians cilicians and pisidians unless antiquity had handed them down as true and indisputable nor would our romulus have consulted the auspices before he founded rome nor would the name of accius navius have so long flourished in the memory of our citizens if events had not justified their wonderful predictions but doubtless this science and art of augury has to some extent vanished away by age and negligence therefore for my part i neither agree with marcellus who maintains that our college of augurs never was in possession of this science nor do i agree with claudius who asserts that we still preserve it and indeed it appears to me among our ancestors to have been of a twofold nature so that it was sometimes used for political convenience though very often as a real guide and director in counsel and action atticus i think that that was the case and i very much agree with these views of yours on the subject but proceed marcus i will and as concisely as possible what follows relates to the rights of war in commencing conducting and concluding which justice and good faith are of the greatest importance by our law we have therefore appointed public interpreters of these rights as to the religious duties of the soothsayers and their expiations and sacrifices i think that enough and more than enough is said in the law itself atticus i think so too since that branch of the law relates exclusively to religious ceremonials marcus as to what follows my atticus i scarcely know in what terms it becomes me to animadvert upon it or you to assent to it atticus what is that marcus the law respecting the nocturnal sacrifices of women atticus oh i assent to their suppression by all means with the exception of those solemn and public sacrifices contained in the law itself marcus but if we suppress the nocturnal sacrifices what will become of the august mysteries of iacos and the eumolpidae for we are constructing laws not for the romans only but for all just and valiant nations atticus i think it but courteous to accept those mysteries likewise in which we ourselves have been initiated marcus with all my heart let us accept them for it seems to me that among the many admirable and divine things your athenians have established to the advantage of human society 
there is nothing better than the mysteries by which we are polished and softened into politeness from the rude austerities of barbarism justly indeed are they called initiations for by them we especially learn the grand principles of life and gain not only the art of living agreeably but even that too of dying with a better hope but the comic poets are sufficient to show what displeases me in the nocturnal mysteries if such license was allowed at rome what abominations might not be committed by the man who should carry premeditated debauchery into the mysteries in which even a stolen glance was in ancient times a crime atticus content yourself with proposing this law for rome do not rob the greeks of their customs marcus well then let us return to our laws in which it is most diligently ordained that the clear daylight should be the safeguard of female virtue in the eyes of the multitude and that they should only be initiated in the mysteries of ceres according to the roman custom in reference to this topic we have an extraordinary instance of the severity of our ancestors in the public prosecution and punishment of the bacchanals by the senate supported by the consular armies and this severity of the roman government is not singular since diagondas of thebes in the middle of greece suppressed all nocturnal mysteries by a perpetual prohibition and aristophanes the most facetious of the old greek comedians so satirized the new gods and the nocturnal rites of their worship that he represents sabazios and other foreign deities condemned as aliens and obliged to pack off from the city but the public priest shall acquit of guilt those irregularities committed by imprudence and which have been carefully expiated but he shall judge as scandalous and impious the audacity which would introduce impure religious customs with respect to public shows and amusements since they are generally divided into those of the circus and of the theatre let corporeal contests such as running boxing wrestling and chariot races for the palm of victory be confined to the circus and let dramatic recitations with vocal music and singing and lyres and flutes be practised in the theatre as by law prescribed as long as they are kept within the bounds of moderation for i think with plato that nothing more readily influences tender and susceptible minds than the varied melodies of music whose power of raising both good and evil passions is almost beyond expression for music can excite the depressed and depress the excited and augment our energies or contract them it would have been well for many of the greek cities if they had maintained the spirited and invigorating character of their ancient music for since their music has been changed their morals and manners have lapsed into voluptuousness and effeminacy either because as some people think their dispositions have been depraved by the seducing and enervating music or because after severity of virtue had yielded to the temptation of other vices there was then found room both in their ears and inclinations for this change also therefore it was that plato that wisest and by far the
the most learned philosopher of greece so much dreaded the effects of music on his fellow-countrymen for he denied that it was possible to change the laws of music without likewise changing the public laws but though i am not quite so apprehensive as he with respect to the influence of music i by no means believe that it deserves to be slighted without going further let me observe the effect of that influence among our romans the verses of Livius and Naivius, which used to be sung with a manly simplicity and energy are now chanted forth with all sorts of grimaces and contortions of the eyes and head according to the variation of the airs ancient greece never permitted this sort of conduct wisely foreseeing how gradually this kind of effeminacy if it once got possession of the citizens would ruin all their cities with false arts and evil principles and therefore the stern lacedaemon ordained that the harp of timotheus should possess but seven chords and that the rest should be taken away end of part one of book two recording in memory of mitchell edwards